Welcome to episode number five of Where Wine Takes You, exploring the people and stories that make Paso wine country so special. I'm your host, your friend, Adam Montiel. Well, I have asked you to tell a friend about the podcast so you could share where wine takes you, as well as sharing Paso wine country. And many are doing just that. Check this out. Our last show, episode four, saw the podcast hit number 16 on the places and travel chart for podcasts on iTunes. Now, that's just insane. That's unreal. I can't tell you how thrilled I am, how thrilled we are here at Paso Wine and everyone here with the podcast to make Where Wine Takes You number 16 on the Places and Travel Chart. Just four episodes in, it's unbelievable. Thank you so much. We have more to do, more to share, and I'm thankful you're here with us to enjoy and, of course, share Paso Wine Country. Today in the episode, we're going to talk wine, spirits, and adventure. Now, there are many brands in Paso where you will visit, and you have the ability to get more than just wine. How about Santa Margarita Ranch? They have just about as much history as they do acreage. Later, we're going to chat with Amanda Wittstrom Higgins of Ancient Peaks Wine to talk not only about the wine, but how you can soar a couple hundred feet over their vineyards in the most exhilarating zipline excursion you will ever embark on with their brand, Margarita Adventures. Here's Amanda talking about the mission behind not only the resources of such a large ranch, but the joy and mission of actually sharing it. Absolutely, Adam. So 14,000 acres, the Santa Margarita Ranch is one of the oldest continuously operated cattle ranches in the state of California. We are agriculturists at heart. We're adventurers at heart. We love where wine takes you. I love this podcast. I think it's amazing that you are leading the charge. And for us, we are all about sharing early rancho hospitality in a number of ways, whether that's through the expression of wine, the culinary aspect at our hospitality room, whether that's margarita adventures or taking a Jeep ride through the vineyard. We want people to to learn about ranching and agriculture. Our chat with Amanda Wittstrom Higgins and Ancient Peaks and Margarita Adventures in just a bit. First, Villa Cana Winery. These guys have been around since the 90s, but was the very first distiller on the block with refined distillery about 10 years ago, where you can now taste local vodkas, gins, whiskeys, shoot even limoncellos, crafted right here in Paso Robles. And you can taste them both when you visit. Alex and his wife, Monica Villacana, are infectious. They both have bright smiles. They genuinely love what they get to do and who they get to share with. They're located in the Adelaide District, which is one of the 11 sub-AVAs in Paso wine country, known most for its elevation and being able to grow some spectacular wines. Like a lot of these interviews, I am smack dab in the middle of the cellar, in this case, the distillery with Alex, so you'll hear some working going on in the background, which I love. We start the conversation, making Alex feel old for how long he's been in the game in Paso. So give me that sound, we'll get by, we pass on down till the job is Get out in the trees, it will simplify good company. Actually, yeah, it's kind of scary sometimes when I think about how long I've been here. So um, I actually uh, started working at the old Creston Winery. Uh, that was Alex Trebek's winery in the early days um, back in 1991 with uh, Vic Roberts. From, uh, it was, is that Dope. what became Windfall Farms? Uh, no, it actually uh, now is um, Ancient Peaks production facility out there on Highway 58. Oh, okay. Um, so it, it's been there a long time. And uh, it was, you know, I, it was probably a 30-minute commute into work. And there was nothing around you out there. It was, it was pretty spooky sometimes when you worked the swing shift. But yeah, so going on 30 years this next year. But when you consider well over 150 tasting rooms, probably 300 plus bonded wineries yeah. in Paso, and you were like less than 20. You were like yeah, I mean, for sure. Yeah. And it's crazy. You know, I always, I always kind of tell the story of like when we first got here and I always dreamed about owning my own place. And, uh, you know, I had a realtor take, take me out and show, show us some properties. And, you know, I told them, you know, they asked, what do you want to do with the property? I'm like, oh, we were thinking about one day starting a vineyard and winery. And they just shook their head and they, you know, people have been trying that for years around here. It's just, it's never going to work. And, you know, you look now and you go, holy cow. It's just, uh, it was just really just getting started then. And, and so now, yeah, like you said, 150, 200 tasting rooms. Why Paso for you and Monica and Villa Cana Winery. Why Paso? 
God, there's there's a lot of reasons. One, um, you know, obviously the soil and climate are just uh, incredible. Um, it, uh, you know, you have these beautiful hillside vineyards. Um, so you have this, the elevation basically helps with a really long growing season. Um, they say those high vineyards, they have lower highs and higher lows. So you stay in that growing band for a longer period of time. You have those beautiful calcareous soils that the world-class grapes really do well in. Then on top of that, you know, I knew I wanted to have my own thing. I wanted to have my own winery. Even at the time, you know, up in Napa, there was just no way. You know, I'd have to start a dot-com first and then get into the business. But I'm not smart enough to start a dot-com. So, so Paso was actually a fantastic option. On top of that, the people here were just fantastic. And I always remember, you know, the, that first harvest, you know, I would go out on my days off and, and wine taste. And pretty much you'd cover all of them in a couple of weekends. And just would... You know, talk to people, pick their brains. And I remember uh, Doug Beckett in the early days when he was actually on Peachy Canyon Road and he was so gracious and, and, and gave us a tasting and, you know, talked to us about, you know, what the business was like. And, you know, he, was, he basically said, you know, if you want to get into this because you love the area, you love the people, you, you love wine, um, and you start small and, you know, know that you're going to grow real slow, it's an incredible business. And he was one of the most positive people. And it's probably one of the reasons I actually got into this business was his positive attitude toward the industry and, and Passerables. That's really cool because, you know, Doug Beckett, Peachy Canyon, a Paso pioneer from, you know, the late 70s, early 80s. I yeah. mean, that was a really special time for Paso. Yeah, it was It was huge. I mean, it, uh, you know, he was making those incredible zins that really kind of uh, got Paso Robles to be on the map. Uh, you know, him and uh, Toby and uh, with uh, Toby and James, it's, it was it a was pretty cool time to be, be well, here. He tells, Doug tells some really cool stories about touring, even internationally, working markets uh, with Kent Rosenblum and just yeah. trying to sell Zinfandel, you know, but, you know, because, you know, obviously from different areas, he's really trying to push Paso. And as, as you know this, you've told me this, Gary Eberle's told me this, really pushing Paso first yeah. is what helped all these brands uh, kind of rise and really make a world-class area. Yeah, it is. It, the, the Paso name, um, it, it's, it was incredible. When we first got started, I would tell my friends I was you know, starting a winery in Paso Robles, and they're like, where? It, that's like north of, of Napa, right? Or where? They, or they had no clue. Is that near Dallas? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they had no clue. And, uh, and so, you know, you got those early pioneers like, like Doug and Gary and, and Justin Baldwin that would get out there and, you know, the first time I was ever in London and I saw a bottle of Justin wine on the shelf, I was like, Paso's finally hitting it. And, and now you go anywhere in the U.S. and you tell them you're from Paso Robles Wine Country and, and people know it. I mean, it's, uh, it's been incredible to see the growth of the wine. And it's actually helped on our distilling side because, you know, we really talk about, you know, where our grapes are from that go into the spirits. And, you know, having Paso Robles on there has made a huge difference. That's super cool. And the way refined handcrafted spirits started, I mean, you, it wouldn't have started without the winery, if you no. think about it. It wouldn't have started without the winery, and it wouldn't have started without the community. And, you know, it was, you, you talked about Eric Jensen from Booker, and he was one of kind of the reasons why I actually uh, probably ended up in this business, because right? he was actually the one who <laughs> explained to me that, that whole process of bleeding uh, the grapes, and I had never done it before. I, you know, it wasn't something I was uh, familiar with. Um, and so that kind of got my brain going. I, you know, I started trying the, the, the same process on my wine. Where you and this it. is what we call sanye. We're taking that, that juice and it, and it kind of runs off. Exactly. You're taking the juice out prior to fermentation just to change that ratio of juice to skins in the fermentation. And, and that's why some of the Paso wines have just such a richness and lushness to them. And so it was a, a technique that, you know, really worked on certain varieties. And, and so that's really what got me started uh, down, down the distilling trail. And, um, but it's uh, been pretty unique. It's been fun to, uh, to see the wine region grow and, uh, and now to see the distilleries taking off right after it. Well, you know, for maybe the number 17th or 18th winery around here <laughs> to the first person to get out the gate and become a Paso Robles distiller. I mean, that was a huge move. What, did you feel, were you and Monica like scared to death when this happened or what? We were absolutely frightened. I yeah. mean, it was, you know, these, the stills that we had to buy, um, well, let's put it this way. The, Starting the winery was crazy, too. I mean, we commuted back and forth uh, from L.A. for about 10 years every weekend because we needed day jobs to support this weekend habit. So we put on hundreds of thousands of miles driving back and forth. Didn't have kids at the time, so, you know, it was kind of like a weekend getaway for us from our regular jobs. We finally decided it was time to basically make the, the big jump, and uh, we bought the, this property where we opened up the tasting room, and it was one of those things. We, it was 
it was like, okay, it's do or die moment. We're either going to give up on this dream, keep our day jobs in LA, or actually move up here to Paso. And you know, we always joke we did the, the rational thing. We quit two great jobs, sold our house in LA, and moved to the country to become farmers. And uh, <laughs> and so that was like that was scary in itself because we didn't know if anybody was going to come to our tasting room when we threw our doors open because there were so few wineries here at the time. And then when we, you know, after doing this for 15, 20 years and starting the distillery, you know, we we're still really relatively small as a winery, and so. Jumping into the distilling business is extremely expensive. These uh, German-made stills cost a fortune, and and so it was, you know, uh, buying a you know a new house basically when we bought the uh, bought the still. And, and you got to really do a deep dive. I mean, I was talking to Brian Terizi, you know, Giornana in Tin City. Yeah. Of course, he's got this immensely popular Eto Pasta yeah. that's a few years old, and you really got to do a deep dive into pasta if you're going to start a pasta company. And oh. and you must have really said, hey, if I'm going to be the first one out here making. Spirits, I got to do this. I got to do this damn good. Yeah. And, and you know, I think, you know, that was the, the neat thing about jumping into the spirits was being a winemaker first made that jump into the spirits a little bit easier. I mean, there was a lot to learn. Don't get me wrong. The cool thing is, is just like in the wine business, the, the culture between distillers is still pretty much like, hey, we're all figuring this out. Distilling is new in the area, uh, new in the country for the most part, other than you know, some of the old uh, Kentucky uh, distilleries. And so the, the camaraderie um, between distillers is, is really incredible. I mean, we've got strong group here in Paso. Uh, we have a strong group uh, in nationally um, where we worked on things. And if you have questions, uh, they definitely will help you out. So, But I mean, even in the distilling world, we were probably under 200 in the distilleries in the U.S. Um, now there's two to 3,000, so it's, uh, that has taken off, too. So it's, it's been fun to basically be at the ground floor of, one, the Paso Wine Region, but now also of the distilling culture here in the U.S. Well, you mentioned the community and how instrumental it was to the launch of Refined Distillery, and you would go to your neighbors and ask for, hey, I mean, because a lot of this bleed off this Sanye, it was going down the drain. Yeah. No, it was, that, that, that was the crazy thing, is we were just pouring this down the drain, and it's, you know, 20, 30, 40% of your raw material. And so if you think you're paying three, $4,000 a ton for grapes, $1,000 is going down the drain every time. And, um, but you make better wines, and so you can justify it because the wines are that much richer. The end so product can, is the better. The end product is that much better. Um, but it's still, when, you, when you're out there you know, farming in the middle of the night, spraying your grapes, making sure that you know, they're sound before they come into the winery, and then you dump all that hard work down the drain, you go, there's got to be something better to do with this. And, and so that's where this idea was born. Um, and it's, it's been neat to see the response from the tasters, from the community, from the local bars and restaurants. Uh, it's, it's been pretty huge. Now, just the distillery in and of itself, I always thought wineries and cellars were just very ocularly stimulating. I love going into a tank room. I love the smell. I love the temperature. I love everything about it. So it's a real treat to come in and hang here, like in your garage, in your where all your tools and toys are around you. But that it holds nothing to a distillery. I mean, it is so it looks like we're in the Willy Wonka chocolate factory here. <laughs> it looks like you're a mad scientist with all of the windows and the copper and the tubing. It's a really, really visually kind of captivating thing. Oh yeah, no, it, it's it's you know I've heard so many things like Jules Verne, Willy Wonka in the chocolate factory, the adult version. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just it, it is really cool equipment. And I think so. We're going on the distillery next year is going to be our tenth year distilling here in the area, which is crazy. It's time's flown by that fast. Yeah. But I think it was the first five years. You know, I'm down here. 17, 18 hours a day, you know, because the, the stills, once you get them going, it's, it's really busy to start and really busy at the end. In between, it's just you're checking on things. But I would walk down here late at night and you're just kind of walking by the equipment and you just get this smile on your face because it's like a kid with this cool toy. And, and so um, we're actually, uh, now we have two, um, two stills. They're different manufacturers, both from Germany. Um, and these things are running, you know, seven days a week, uh, almost all year long now, which is, which is pretty incredible. You know, we talk about terroir, and of course it includes time and place and people, and there's, there's a lot of like intangible uh, aspects of terroir. I really feel like happy wine comes from a happy cellar, happy, happy spirits come from a happy distillery. And when, you know, someone like you, I mean, you were just beaming telling me the story about walking around here like, you know, a kid on Christmas. When, when there's that kind of joy in here to what you're doing, that has to have some intangible, you can't quantify it, but there is some effect in, in the quality of that beverage. It's, it's one of those things that, you know, the, at the core of the wine and distilling is you're really a farmer. You know, there's a lot of hard 
sweaty, cold, you know, depends on the time of year. It's, it's, it's hard work. And you've got to really love what you're doing. Otherwise, it's like nobody would be crazy enough to get into this job. I mean, but the rewards at the end of the day are just so fantastic. I mean, for me, being both a winemaker and a distiller is super cool because I can basically really focus on the wine, do that fantastic during harvest. Um, the distillery helps kind of level things out because anything that I'm wasting on the winemaking side then can go into the distillery side. Using the kind of the creativity that I learned on the winemaking side translates over into the different types of spirits I make. And so it's it's just this great energy, you know, between the two, uh, two different businesses. One interesting aspect juxtaposing the wine versus the spirits. You know, people will come into the tasting room and you talk about notes of strawberry or cherry and, you know, someone who may not know a lot about drinking may go, oh, how do, how do you put the cherries in the wine? Or I'm sure you've heard these <laughs> questions before. But with spirits, you literally are putting the cucumbers in the vodka. <laughs> yes, it's very it is, different. It is true and it's totally different. And, and, and actually, it's, a, it's fun in that sense. You know, when we made our first gin, it's, you know, you are putting those flavors there and you can fine tune it. Where with wine, it's, it's really sometimes challenging. If you are trying to, you know, make a Bordeaux blend and you have, you know, four or five different varieties, trying to get an optimal kind of flavor, you know, sometimes it's two or three percent of one different variety can make a huge difference in the wine. Um, and so it's, it's a real, you know, you know, back and forth, you know, trying this, trying that. Um, with the spirits, it is, you can fine tune it. I mean, you can basically, you know, weigh, the, you know, the, the, the botanicals out, you know, to the gram. And, you know, there's a consistency, but there's also a uniqueness because it's, you know, it's, it's got a lot more depth. It's, uh, you know, our spirits have viscosity and texture and, and, and are unique because they're a winemaker's uh, take on what the spirits are. You know, I interviewed on the radio one time Matt Brindleson, the brewmaster for Firestone. Brilliant. He's a genius. Yeah. And um, I asked him what it was like. Do you think the brewmaster you are has been shaped by doing it in wine country? And he said, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. Being in wine country has shaped his mind of blending and being a brewmaster, just like yours in distilling. Oh, I would put an exclamation point on that. I mean, as a distiller, if I wasn't a winemaker, my spirits would be totally different. And, and I actually, you know, I taste a lot of uh, other people's spirits and, you know, it is interesting to see their take on things because um, I probably wouldn't do a lot of what they're doing. But it's, you know, for me, it's always about, you know, the clean spirits, um, you know, really good finishes, making sure that the material is, you know, top notch, that you're not starting with junk and trying to basically distill it into something decent. Um, and so being a winemaker, trying to make world class wines first, um, at, you know, makes it so that the spirits that I'm producing from those world-class wines, I think, are, are 10 times better uh, if I didn't have that background and the grapes are coming from this region. When someone comes and tastes Villacana wines, we got a rosé in the glass. It is perfect for a afternoon in Paso. <laughs> it is a beautiful rosé. Um, talk about some of the other varieties that Villacana is known for. Yeah, so we do about eight different uh, varieties of, of wine. Um, we actually grow everything estate-grown. Our vineyard is up on Mountain Springs Road, which is here on the west side of Paso Robles. Our vineyard sits between about fourteen and 1,800 feet. So we just get that, you know, that beautiful kind of uh, afternoon breeze that kicks through to kind of cool things down. Um, uh, we, you know, for me, it's... We have some, you know, standard wines that we produce, but for me, I'm always just trying to produce the best wines from the grapes that are given to me each year from the vineyard. Um... Uh, so like the rosé, we actually started producing the rosé, God, probably about 15 years ago. And part of before it was... Before rosé was super cool. Before rosé was super cool. And trust me, <laughs> I had to twist a lot of arms. People were saying, you know, I don't drink the sweet stuff. And I'm like, this isn't sweet. Trust me. And part of it was when Monica and I were, got out of college, we were fortunate enough to backpack um, through Europe and just loved some of those Provençal type rosés. And, and we'd get back here and we're like, okay, let's go get some. And you couldn't find any in the stores. And so you tried the stuff that was pink in the stores back then. And it was horrible. And so we started producing some. And I think at the time, the only other producer here locally was that uh, Topless Creek was producing a rosé. Great rosé, too. Great rosé. And, uh, and so, but when, you know, it's 115 degrees in Paso Robles, you don't want to be drinking a heavy Zinfandel. You want to be drinking a nice, bright rosé. And, uh, and the varieties of grapes that are planted here now, especially with the Rhone varieties, are just perfect for producing a rosé. We make ours in a very lean, kind of crisp style, very fruit forward, no oak. And we're just making it for that nice, um, you know, afternoon sipping wine or, you know, on, on a hot summer evening where you sit on the porch and uh, just enjoy a glass. 
I think we've also I think we finally come to the point where rosé is like we're an all all year round. Oh, I yeah. mean we don't need rosé in the spring. Like I know a lot of people will put it out in March or whenever. But I mean we we are maybe it's because of where we live in California or Central Coast. But I mean rosé all seasons, all seasons. Thank, it's great at Thanksgiving wine too. Good um, point. But no, it's it's crazy. So um, uh, we do a little distributing back east, and you know it's like you never used to see you know uh, you know more than a handful of rosés on a, in a wine shop. Now it's like they have whole blocks of rosé. It is it is crazy. It's uh, it is now an accepted variety of wine, but we make it every year. We call it Liquid Hope because uh, my mother in law passed away a number of years back, and so we donate a portion of this. It was her favorite wine during the summer. And, was it really? Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah. So cool. Some of the other varieties that you guys are into. We do a little bit of everything, and the nice thing about our vineyard is because we sit up on top of a mountain, uh, we have a lot of different aspects, a lot of different elevations, as I've talked about, and so depending on the aspect, we can basically plant different varieties. You know, if you get the morning sun versus the afternoon sun, you know, if it's you know, depending on the facing, you can get some of that hotter afternoon sun, and, and so um, we, when I first came up here, we stuck with the, kind of the, the classics, you know, Bordeaux, uh, so Cabernet Sauvignon, Cabernet Franc, Merlot. But also we planted Zinfandel because Zinfandel was used to this area. And so those are the varieties that we started with. We also now have Morved, uh, Syrah, Grenache. And we also have a couple of um, uh, white varieties, uh, Viognier and Picpoul Blanc. And, uh, and so we grow a lot on our little 13-acre vineyard, but it's enough to supply our winery, which we produce about 2,000 cases of wine a year. All of our wine, for the most part, sells directly through our tasting room uh, and through our club. For us, it was actually a decision when we had kids. We didn't want to hit the road selling wine all the time, and so we decided to keep it small, keep it tight. I do all the winemaking farming, and we sold it right through our tasting room. Well, I imagine with COVID going on and a lot of people losing their distribution channels, especially on-premise with restaurants, uh, this model must have paid off and been very good. <laughs> It's it a definitely blessing. Is, is very timely right now, let yes, me tell you. for so, sure. Um, so it, uh, it has been great. And, you know, we actually, our club is actually closed right now just because we've kind of maxed out for, with what we're producing. We are planting a little bit more, but, you know, it takes so long to get a vineyard up and established. And for me, I really want to grow the grapes that I actually put in the bottle. Um, That's important. There's too. no reason. I think it's just kind of a, a cool way to do it, and I've always yeah. done it that way. And so we'll probably up our production eventually, but 2,000 cases is comfortable work. I can do most of the work myself, and I'm very hands-on. It's you know, we're never going to grow to be a big distillery or a big winery because I tend. You only to, got two hands. I, I only got two hands, and, um, and so until I can convince my son he wants to be a farmer, um, I, you know, it's uh, realistically it's just going to be me. Well, I've been up here interviewing you, where you have like three thousand pounds of lemons on your crush pad. Because three thousand was ten. Was it really? Yeah, ten thousand pounds. Yeah, I, I didn't know. I was yeah. just like, a, I figured three thousand may have been overshooting it. Ten thousand pounds. Yeah. That is wild. Or or the cucumbers, which literally go extinct here when you're making your cucumber vodka on the Central Coast. You can't even find a cucumber anymore. It's super cool to see all the equipment and to see how it all goes down. And I think, you know, based on kind of this way we're reopening, you people, you really have an advantage because you get that double punch when you come here. You can try these world-class wines that you can't get anywhere else. Yeah. And you can taste the spirits. Exactly. No, and it, it's fun because consumers really didn't know where spirits came from. They, you know, wineries, breweries have been open for a while where you can go and you can kind of explore, like you say, going into a cellar and seeing the barrels, seeing the tanks and all that type of stuff. You know, 10 years ago, you couldn't go into a distillery. There weren't enough around. Um, and so for the consumer now, they have that double punch, like you say. They can go into the winery, they can experience, get educated on the wine, but then they can take that next step into the, this whole kind of new thing about the uh, the spirits and the cocktail culture and, you know, bring back these old mixology drinks that, uh, you know, kind of disappeared for a while, uh, but are really coming back right now. Wine celebrates time and place. It's one of the most beautiful things about it. We mentioned that terroir word a little while ago. Do spirits celebrate time and place? Or, or do you distill out the terroir in a way? No, you don't actually. If you try our spirits next to you know somebody who say you know like there's a sweet potato vodka out in the in the valley, and you could actually try it side by side next to our grape Paso Robles grape vodka, and they are distinctly different. Part of that is is just our process. One, we're using you know world class wine grapes. We're not growing grapes to make vodka because if you did that, it wouldn't be that good. But because we're getting these um, you know this juice that is so rich and, and basically ripe, um, that our vodka actually expresses that. And so it definitely does show that terroir. And, and it's not just with the grapes. So we actually are also doing some grain-based stuff. So we do make some whiskeys. Um, and one of the whiskeys we're actually just about, uh, we've actually just labeled it today, is actually uh, made from a locally grown heirloom wheat, a Sonora wheat. That Sonora wheat came to the United States back in the 1600s. And there's actually a farmer over on the east side of Paso Robles that is actually growing it and malting it here locally. And, and so, um, so we bought the wheat and barley over from him. And Firestone Walker actually is brewing it up into a beer for us that we then 
them to still and age. And so that is truly going to show terroir because the grain that's grown here is going to taste different from the grain that's grown in the Midwest. And so I think what this new thing with the, the spirits is just like people are now understand when you try Paso wine, you understand the flavor profile of Paso Rebels wines, you know. 30 years ago, you didn't because there weren't enough of them. Um, now the consumer can see Paso Robles wines. I think in 30 years, people are going to say, oh, this, is, this tastes like a, a Paso Robles whiskey or a Paso Robles vodka. That's so, so I think it's going to be very unique. Well. And, and like you said about the experience part, thing, the, the time, um, you know, I think when I, one of the, some of the most special things is when I first got in the business and people would send me a note saying, hey, we had your, uh, your wine at a wedding or you know, at our anniversary or something like that. Those are the things that like, are so special because you know that's part of their life, and they're going to remember that memory and your bottle of wine that they basically you know, drank at their, their wedding or rehearsal dinner or whatever it is. Yeah. It's really cool. We also, I think, in Paso, we don't have that kind of, oh, I only have my Cabernet with you know, this or that. Right. So it's, I like want, your snobby person impression. Yeah, like that's that? pretty good. <laughs> Send him to the theater. <laughs> Send me to the theater. Um, so that... that that Paso is very approachable. You know, if you walk around downtown, people say hello. It, the wines are kind of that same thing. They're they're friendly. They're approachable, but they're also really complex and, and, and delicious. So, if I had somebody walk away, I want somebody to go home and basically say, "Man, you got to go check out Paso. The wines are phenomenal. The people are fantastic. It's just a great region." And so it's. I feel like we have that whole package here in, in this region. It's, it's, it's really unique. I love it. Well, this is so much fun. Thanks for taking some time, um, you know, kind of explaining where wine has taken you. Yeah. I mean, your journey is a really, really exciting one. I always love when I get a chance to interview you for whether it's the radio or we've done some virtual things together and, and, uh, and now this. So thanks for taking time and having me. I, I hope you're not getting sick of me. No, you know, I, I just feel sorry for you because, you know, you have to go back and edit these things and my brain goes in 12 different directions. And so I can <laughs> only imagine like well i can stitch that together over here but you know that's the way a winemaker's mind works it's like you're always trying to figure out problems and and move things around so. you're a crazy genius <laughs> well we're going to be getting into harvest time soon so if you are around and you come taste i'm sure if you peek around you will see uh, alex and monica here working hard at villacana winery and refined distillery where you can actually come make your appointment and you can actually taste both of these both the wine and the spirits both the wine and the spirits and we would love to have you it's uh, we have a beautiful patio out there and incredible uh, well-educated staff. We actually have a, uh, you know, a sommelier. It's pretty cool. It's a, it's, it's a great time and a great place to visit. And ever since you became the first distiller in Paso, like the laws have kind of changed. They've loosened up a little bit. What are you allowed to sell directly? Where do we stand with like some of these old, I mean, some of these Tidehouse laws were literally in place from prohibition. Yeah, no, actually... At the distillery, we're allowed to sell anything now, and, and that's it's changed a lot. When we first got started, you just couldn't do it. About three years ago, four years ago now, they actually uh, changed the law. Uh, a group of about 20 of us in California got together and basically hired lobbyists to go and actually get the laws changed. There's still some restrictions on how much you can buy us with spirits and where you can ship them. There are not many bright sides to this uh, th- this whole thing we're going through right, right now. But one of the good things is currently we can actually ship our spirits, where before we couldn't actually ship our spirits. So at least until the uh, the end of the year, um, you know, if you wanted to ship something home or have something shipped to you, if you can't okay. make it here, we can actually ship the spirits. All right, good. Go to refineddistillery.com. Uh, what is the website for the winery? Villaconowinery.com. Two L's, one N. Yeah, and it's V-I-L-L-I. Right? Yeah, Villacana. Because a lot of people say V-I-L-L-A. And it's actually, it's, it's a Basque name by origin. Uh, came up through Mexico. My grandparents... That's my last name, too. Yeah. And so yeah. my grandparents came across uh, the El Paso border, and, uh, or the, America, the U.S. border in El Paso in 1919. Damn, we need to do an Ancestry.com thing. Maybe you and I are related. It, it's possible. You know, it's crazy. Maybe, maybe the, a piece of this is mine. The, the, <laughs> So it was funny. So, um, well, one, it was, it was actually really neat. So they both came up from the exact same region of Mexico. Um, and it was kind of like that post-Mexican uh, Civil War. Yeah. They came from the same region, ended up in East Los Angeles, living up basically a block away, ended up meeting here instead of in, in Michoacan, where they were from. And, uh, you know, the rest is history. Really? Obviously. So, and then it, the cool thing about Paso, and I've talked about the community a lot, is um, we've actually had three, four wineries that have actually started uh, under our roof. Part of it is like, you know, like my neighbor, he was getting started, he planted a vineyard, he's like, I don't want to build a winery now, can I rent space for me? I'm like, sure, that's great, it helps me out, it helps you out, we can work together during harvest. So Alta Kalina got started here. Nicora, he actually was uh, one of our seller staff, he's got a place down in Tin City now. And then uh, Bodega de Edgar, he basically was, he was renting space here too, and it was funny because um, Edgar actually thought I was uh, Italian. And, uh, <laughs> and his, Edgar's mom came up and he's like, she's like, no, 
because he's from Mitchell County as well. Right. And, and so she's like, now, that, that name is not Italian. Yeah. <laughs> he, he's from the same place we are. <laughs> That's so interesting. Pretty wild, though. It is wild. Small so. world. Well, I can't thank you enough for all the time that you give me with these interviews and just, you know, with your friendship and letting me experience and get a chance to just get a glimpse into what you do. Yeah. I always love our conversations. And, you know, I'm a huge fan of both your wine and your spirits. Well, thank you. And I tell you, having you as a promoter for, for Pastoral Wine and, and Distilled Spirits, it, it's huge because not every region has somebody who is basically so behind the industry. It's a, it's been a, a real help for us, and uh, and it's great to have you out there as a, as a cheerleader and a, kind of leading the charge. That means a lot. Thanks, Alex. Cheers, man. Cheers. So give me that sound. We'll get by. We pass on around till the job is camped out in the trees. It will simplify good company. All right, well, tasting both wine and spirits is just what I need before I go to Margarita Adventures. They have about a half a dozen legit zip lines that soar a couple hundred feet above earth over their world-class grapevines and open your perspective up to this historic Santa Margarita Ranch like no other view can. I'm scared of heights, too, but this is a blast. It is so much fun. I've been back several times. This ranch has a lot of resources, which has allowed Ancient Peaks Winery to massively over-deliver on the quality of wine for what they ask for it. Amanda Wittstrom Higgins is always fun to talk to. She's smart, quick, and has such a command over whatever she's tackling. It's really admirable. She was featured on the cover of Wine Enthusiast Magazine for their 40 Under 40 last year, and has since propelled Paso Wine Country with her Wine Speak Paso event, as well as her philanthropic missions with the launch of Dream Big Darling, both of which we'll touch on. I'm in her office. She actually met me with a cheese plate, so it's like she read my diary. I love this. And we're talking about the idea of Ancient Peaks being the quintessential Paso brand that really over-delivers in its wine quality. You know what's cool is that Ancient Peaks, the ranch, and the amount of grapes, your resources, allow you to have these great wines and really over-deliver for folks and really deliver wines at a value. I remember I saw your wines. You'll see them, you know, in restaurants all over the place. I was watching Impractical Jokers. I love that show. And I was, did you see your wine? Yeah, in there? absolutely. <laughs> like, Someone no shot, did a screenshot of it. And we're like, no way, man. Yeah, so. I know. And, and I'm sure that happens, you know, often. But I think it's really exciting that your, the, the resources of this ranch have allowed Ancient Peaks to really over-deliver in value when it comes to the wine. Thank you for saying that. That has been our goal since we started the company in 2005. And the three families that own Ancient Peaks, the Santa Margarita Ranch, and the vineyard that that is on the property are all local families. And, you know, I love saying that we are blue collar. We are from the people. And our goal is that wine belongs on every dinner table. And we have just under 900 acres of estate vines. And so we are able to offer an incredible wine at a great price that hopefully everyone can afford to drink and enjoy. And it's delicious. You know, this entry level, your entry level cab is so killer. It is go to its clutch. And it's like around 20 bucks. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's available almost nationwide. Whole Foods is a great partner for those of you that are listening from outside of our area. Um, you could, of course, purchase it directly from our website, but that's the goal. Cabernet is king in pastoral So over 50% of what's grown in our region is Cabernet Sauvignon. And for us in our vineyard and on our ranch, it's something that we focus a great amount of energy on. And I have a special surprise for you later. I want you to taste a new wine. Really? That is Cabernet Sauvignon. We've been working on this for the last... Five years and have just finally brought it to market and it's been in bottle for about eight months, but it's incredible, super low production, but it's the best Cabernet from the whole property. And I can't can't wait to have you try it. Oh, I can't wait either. Fast forward to a few years back, more great fruit from this ranch. And I mean that kind of figuratively is, is the ability to appreciate it 
from 150 feet above. The zip lines, Margarita Adventures was just like a game changer and so cool. Talk about how other ways we discovered we can use this beautiful ranch and share. Absolutely. So my dad and, and ownership is, you know, renegades and so creative. And it's interesting because knowing now what we didn't know then, it, it, it's kind of a funny story. So my dad was on a trip. Um, I think in Costa Rica and went had gone ziplining and thought, wow, what a great experience. We could do that. The terrain is just perfect on this property because you need a number of peaks, so to speak, in a way to orchestrate it in, in a fashion that makes sense. It's a wonderful experience. And so we built one and then we built two and now we have six. And <laughs> it's an, it's an amazing experience. You're soaring through the air, sometimes up to speeds of like 40 miles an hour, you know, a couple hundred feet off of the ground over vineyards and you see wildlife and in this one section you're actually going through this oak tree grove it's just it's absolutely beautiful and it's yet another way to experience you know agriculture and the pastorables region in a way that is exciting to people who might not have ever considered coming here before so margarita adventures is has been such a blessing it's the only way i can appreciate heights and not get freaked out like i hate heights and for some <laughs> reason zip lining and i don't know if zip, the zip lining doesn't bother me but yours and i remember sharing this with your dad i was talking about you know a little bit nervous to get on these things because you know i did like zip lining in cancun or lead guy was like a 15 year old kid with like just a bathing suit on you're like am i gonna die yeah your dad was explaining it to me he's like oh adam like you could put a bus up there Absolutely. and you're like you're fine the redundancy in the cables and the strength of the line and all of the the i-beams and the reinforcement and the redundancy is pretty incredible yeah you know even i get a little bit freaked out i mean it is a good rush for anybody looking for an adventure it's i've so been like fun. i i've had to have been close to 100 times and i still like you know, get a little sketched out because you're just so high. But my kids are four and six and I just took them for the first time a few months ago and they loved it. I mean, you can go tandem with kids. Yeah. My gal's family came out here from Maine and stuff and we took them there and it was just like, they couldn't believe it. They had the best. They still talk about it. Well, and even different times of the year is fun because, you know, in the spring you've got wildflowers, you know, in the summer you've got the warm nights and, and harvest. So every time, different times of the year, you get to see something different and there's eagles like all over. (laughs) There's bobcats, there's bears, there's deer, there's coyotes, there's all sorts of wildlife. And so it's just a fun way to, to visit a ranch that normally people don't have access to. So we feel really good about sharing the land with others. Where are things with tours and stuff now with Margarita Adventures? I guess just hitting up the website and find out how you can get in. You know, Adam, it seems like it's changing all the time. Yeah. Just like everything. <laughs> um, if you ask me today, we have, I believe it's three tours a day that we're running and they're um, we're very conscious of distancing and so there's a limited number of guests that are able to come at one time and so definitely check, check out the website and that's margarita-adventures.com to see what going on but you know it's an outdoor activity and and we're more glad to be somewhat operational you know you didn't want to stop there more ways you found to appreciate the ranch and those like nature tours things like that how what other ways have you decided to share this ranch with others and what are you guys looking to even in the future the biggest thing is wine of course that's our number one focus but really whether that's what's happening on the property, whether it's eagles that are nesting and hatching, which are a lot of fun, or um, game cameras and different things that are just happening that we can bring agriculture to life. We've done foraging tours that are pretty cool and wildlife tours. We've done nature walks, just a number of different things throughout the year. Wildflower tours have been pretty exciting. So a number of ways to showcase agriculture and what we've got going on. In the last episode, we asked the question, why Paso? As far as the three families that have ancient peaks and Margarita Adventures, and of course your family, uh, what was it about Paso? Well, I'm fourth generation in this region, and I'm so blessed to call it home. My dad um, grew up in east of Paso Robles in Shandon, and Doug Filipponi, who is another owner, grew up in Atascadero, just about a, a mile from this ranch. And this place is really special, the spirit of the community. We purchased the Santa Margarita Ranch in 2001, and the, the vineyard was actually developed by the Robert Mondavi family in the late 1990s and into 2003. And in 05, we were able to purchase back this lease that, that we had granted them. And in some ways, we kind of stumbled into how special this region is, because I don't think in the last 15 years, we, as a wine-growing region, have begun to, 
to learn and know a lot more. But through experience and excitement and research, this vineyard is pretty special. And a lot of Paso is very unique and perfect for growing grapes. As I know in past segments, I mean, it's the diurnal temperature swings, it's the soil profile, the lack of legacy. I know you had Gary Eberly and and Jordan on talking about uh, the Paderewski Vineyard and and Gary Everly certainly been in this area for quite a while. But in the grand scheme of things, we are young and even vineyards that have been planted are now becoming replanted with different clonal material with in different aspects with different density. And so I think the spirit of this area is just so special that we it's a lack of legacy that makes it really exciting. Yeah, that's a really cool way to look at it. When you mix the people in. It's one of the kind of themes we've seen talked about in this podcast. Well, the people are, are so special and really make that recipe just right. Absolutely. And, and if you look at it from kind of a business perspective, our friends to the north of us, the real estate prices are, are pretty unapproachable for the majority of winemakers or business owners who are wanting to start a project in pastorables there. It's a great value proposition. And so you're seeing these talented people coming here and kind of making their namesake because they can afford and they can afford to come to a region and have their own project where in other places it's just, it's just not possible. Yeah. You know, we had a conversation with both Josh Beckett of Peachy Canyon. Also in the last episode, Austin Hope, Hope Family Wines, Austin Hope Wines, on this podcast about what it's like being, you know, the next generation pioneer. You know, obviously, uh, Austin's dad and, you know, Josh's dad were here in a, and your dad here in an earlier time when this area was, you know, a, there was a lot less going on. But there's also a lot that, you know, that Austin and Josh learned from their dad. Even though you guys are on, on this cutting edge now, you're very much with your finger on the pulse of this very new time. And there's a lot going on. There's a lot more going on. Uh, what are some things that maybe uh, your dad, Carl, kind of instilled either just as far as business or about Paso or about the wine business that you still feel is just a tool that you really value today, too? Well, that's a great question, Adam. And I think um, uh, physical responsibility is really important. Um, you know, having roots in agriculture, we're not fancy people. And, um, you know, it's important to be fiscally responsible. It's also important to surround yourself with incredible people. If you're ever in a room and you feel like you're the smartest one, you probably need to find a new room full of people because, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, we should always be learning all the time. And, um, the rising tide floats all ships. We are not going to be successful as a region if we don't work with one another. And I think that's a real charm of Paso that you don't find in other places. And I think it's because we are very connected to the craft. This is not um, this is not a project where I'm driving my Ferrari into a glass elevator and it's going down to the <laughs> to the caves. You know, it's right. like we're getting in our pickup trucks and we're going home. You know, and um, I think that connection to craft and agriculture is is what is why we have so much momentum as a region where other people are wondering what the heck are they doing? And it's, well, we're actually doing the work and it's much easier to make decisions. And, and we truly are a community and we help one another. You know, you're one of these uh, gals. I don't know how much time you have uh, in a day. Like, I think God like gave you like 28 hours in a day or because uh, there's so many things and so many um, machines that and, and things that you are pushing forward. It's so exciting. A couple of them I want to talk about. And the first is Wine Speak Paso. It's been such a privilege to be involved and help promote this interview. The, the folks, you and Chuck Ferruya and all of your friends and Psalms involved. I guess I kind of want to talk more about what it is for someone who doesn't know, but just how cool that this came to Paso wine country and how huge that is. Well, it was such a blessing and we couldn't have done it without the support of the community. And of course, my friend, dear friend and partner, Chuck Freya, who is a master sommelier and a career educator from Oahu, Hawaii, who was the first master sommelier that actually lived in Hawaii, the 10th in the United States, and just has a real passion and love for wine. And his experience is unique because he's based on, you know, he lives on an island. So everything he learns, he it it's twice as hard because he's not able to travel. Like even in California, we can drive to wine country we can Oregon Washington Napa Sonoma Santa Barbara wherever we want to go it's pretty easy to get there I mean it's very it's far more difficult for someone like him yeah when he steps in a vineyard and that's what he loves to do when he comes here it's all he does it's like right he it must be like a hallowed time for him because he's taking all this in and he's really 
found and I've had conversations with them uh, both, you know, on the air and then privately of one, the people, but just how special of a wine region Pastor Robles truly is. It is. And he he has so much love in his heart. I mean, he loves um, Corsica. He loves, there's a number of regions that he also has deep affinity for, but it's been really special to work with him for Paso Robles and for the region to actually embrace this concept of wine speak. And it's all about the community camaraderie and collaboration. And so we bring wine professionals and people that he's had friendships with for over 40 years all together to share, to inspire the next generation. You know, the future is in all of our hands. It's, uh, it's our job to, to share how special this industry is and how I truly believe that putting wine on a table or sharing it with friends a couple of nights a week, friends or family will truly change your life. Just focusing on the person across the table from you has the power to change the world. I could not agree more. That is so uh, well put. Uh, winespeakpaso.com is the website if you want to learn more about Winespeak. You know, Amanda, another really cool aspect about Winespeak was your deliberate and really thoughtful take on getting young people into it. Psalms had scholarships. And year two and three into Wine Speak, we learn about Dream Big Darling, which is a really, really cool organization that you headed up that is really opening opportunities for women in this business. And it's it's really cool. Thank you. It's it's been a real gift for me to be part of that. And it played a big role in Wine Speak. And the mission of Dream Big Darling is really to offer, you know, experiences to the next generation of women in the wine and spirits industry. It's all about the future. And that it's it's more of a leadership and business focus than say technical wine details, but we're focusing on skill sets that we think that the next generation needs to develop to, to become leaders in, in the field. So it's been incredibly rewarding. We've seen a ton of success and Last year, we had our first leadership retreat, which is a multi-day retreat. We focused on carefully recruiting and uh, requesting applications for women throughout the country. And so we have a national advisory team and we, you know, we're looking for the next generation of women who's, you know, has that trajectory of being going to the top and perhaps isn't quite there yet. So we had over 40 attendees. It was hosted in Pastorables. It was a two and a half day experience. And what was wonderful was not only did they have a very rigorous set of seminars and sessions that they were involved with, but they also, there was time to, to share and collaborate with the other attendees. And so they really forged these amazing relationships with women that were just like them from all over the country. And I have to say, I mean, I love men. My, I love my father, my husband. I've had most of my mentors have been men, but when I look at the wine industry, in particular, you know, I, I look to the future and go, okay, well, if we need to, to, to change and get our message out and our word, the word out about wine and why it's so special, we need to make sure that we've got voices from people who look and sound differently than the traditional winery owner. We need to be considering their insights so that we as a, as an industry are marketing ourselves correctly. Otherwise it's a, it's a big missed opportunity. And so the effort behind Dream Big Darling was to really make sure that those people who are going to be the next generation of leaders get the insights and knowledge and connections with people who can help them, you know, with their career trajectory. If there is a woman who is early in her career and trying to, you know, seek this path and go on this journey, or maybe there is, you know, a business listening or a, or an individual listening with resources to help this kind of woman, uh, how can people learn about Dream Big Darling and, you know, get in touch with it? Is it dreambigdarling.org? Yep, dreambigdarling.org. And we've got a great website uh, with a lot of testimonials. And check it out. Visit. Give me a call. My number's right on there. We'd love to get you involved. And it's a totally volunteer leadership and board uh, group. And it's really, it's just a passion project for all of us who are at a stage in our career when we feel like it's really important to give back, to move the industry forward. That's really cool. Can we taste some wine? Yeah, <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> I love, we got the Oyster Ridge in the glass 2017. Now the ranch, Santa Margarita Ranch sits on an ancient seabed. It is not uncommon. In fact, there is a prehistoric piece on your desk here. It is not uncommon to see huge pieces of oyster shells, fossils from millions of years ago. Oh, it's crazy, Adam. So in California, as most of you know, there's tons of geologic activity. Because of the size of our ranch, we've got five distinct soil types. The oyster, the oyster shells that you're speaking of are kind of the most interesting. But at one time, 
this was a seashore where this vineyard is at. Today, we're 14 miles from the ocean, and there's a gigantic mountain ridge that is forged between the ocean and where our vineyard sits. So this wine is named in a tribute to, to that petrified oyster shells, and they're 100% calcium. It's a great soil profile for growing grapes. This is a blend. Every year, it's based on Cabernet Sauvignon. This year, it's 80% Cabernet. I believe it's 10% Petit Verdot, 5% Malbec. The balance is made up of Cab Franc and Merlot. So it is a Bordeaux blend. It's the best of the best of what we can offer. And um, it's always a blend. We think that that's one of the reasons that Pastorable is, is so incredible is that, that we don't have the same restrictions that a lot of other regions do. And so we are free to play. Now, we've talked about just how amazingly you guys are able to over deliver in the wines. Your entry level cab is around 20 bucks and it drinks like a 40, $45 bottle of cab. Now this is your highest expression of cab. This is a new wine. Yeah. So this is a, um, this is a wine that's Cabernet Sauvignon. We call it part of our pearl collection, kind of playing off of oysters and pearls, but yeah, we've been working on producing the best Cabernet we can for the past five years. And this is the first vintage that we've produced it. It's $70 a bottle, which I honestly think is a pretty good steal. It's beautiful wine. Thank you. It's um, thoughtfully produced. We use a, about a half a dozen Coopers. It comes from this one knoll in the vineyard primarily. It's block 49B. There's about two acres that are identified as our very best on this soil profile. And we farm it meticulously. It gets the best winemaking practices in the cellar. So it's a it's a beautiful wine and I'm glad to showcase not only the region, but this varietal in our ranch at, at the top level. You know, beautiful blue fruit and like those soft, sexy tannins. This is a very, very nice bottle of wine. And still over-delivering it. That's the name of the game is over-delivering. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ancient Peaks does. You go to ancientpeaks.com for more. Uh, if you want to get ziplining, I mean, you can literally zipline 100 feet over Pinot Noir vineyards. Like, I mean, it's unbelievable. <laughs> Margarita-adventures.com. A wine speak Paso to get the latest. I imagine with everything going on, some of that's going to be kind of virtual. Yep, or yep. Just keep, we're working through it. Check yeah. the website and mm-hmm. follow along. I really encourage you, especially if you have anything to do with the wine industry, winespeakpasso.com. And then I love what you're doing with Dream Big Darling. Visit dreambigdarling.org. Did you have fun? Thank you, Adam. This was wonderful. This is a lot of fun. It was was really cool to catch up with you. I don't feel like I get to enough. I know. I love it. You're doing a wonderful job. Thank you. That's um, nice to see you. I'm I'm glad to see you out and about and making it happen. And uh, so far, the first time I've ever done a uh, where wine takes you episode and been met with a cheese plate. I love you. I know. You can just take it with you, too. We'll share it right now. Yeah, I know, right? I love it. Cheers, Amanda. Always great to see you. You too. Give me that sound. We'll get by. We pass on round till the job is Camped out in the trees. It will simplify good company. Two great Paso brands, and yes, you can do and taste a lot more than wine when you come to Paso next time. Speaking of next time, make sure you log on to PasoWine.com before you book your next trip here. It's a great resource to see what your favorite winery or distillery or zip lining excursion company is doing when you visit. You can also check out TravelPaso.com. Free up your mind. Thanks to Moonshiner Collective for the original music you hear on the podcast. And thank you for joining me once again. I'm your host, Adam Montiel. Really looking forward to the next episode where we will feature some big, big, iconic Paso brands. You have some guesses? You can let me know. Learn more. PasoWine.com. Also follow the Paso Wine Country Alliance on Instagram at Paso Wine. Thank you again for listening here. Earlier in the broadcast, we shared with you how this podcast, after the last episode, reached number 16 on the places and travel charts for iTunes podcasts. Unbelievable. So thank you, because this is because of you, and because of you sharing where wine takes you. Cheers. And give me that sound, get bowing, pass on down till the job is Trees, it will simplify and work comp. Give me that moon sound, get bowing, pass on round till the job is camped out in the 
trees are well simplified. Good God, give me that moon sound. We'll get by, we pass all around till the job is In the trees, we will simplify in good company. With that moonshine, we'll get by. We pass all around till the job is dry. Camped out in the trees, we will simplify in good company.